with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and perhaps the unbelievable, right here on Tojanet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. With me, all the wave across the pond in the land of the Red Dragon is my sidekick. I call my sidekick, I guess. Today. <laughs> I think I will. Uh, Mr. Steve Parsons, the gold standard in ghost hunting. That's the fella. Hey, listen, I've just realized a week tonight, not uh, I won't be across the pond. I will literally be crossing the pond on our way to Spirit really? Quest. Yeah, it's a week tonight. I so will I'll have be to someone... wave to you then. Yeah, I will be somewhere mid-Atlantic, probably going over your house in a couple of hours, in a week's time, obviously. There you go. I so there you And we're all set. Um, and we're really looking for, we're really looking forward to it because uh, it's it's a big Harry Price event, isn't it? It amongst is. Other things. And amongst other things. Speaking of Harry Price, you actually have something to announce, right? Do I? What did you send me? Oh, well, um, yeah, if if everybody who's coming to the uh, Harry Price investigation at the, uh, (laughs) I can't remember the name of the location, Uh, the Mance uh, in Concord, Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. uh, we will be giving them a reproduction copy of the Blue Book, which was Price's Notes for his observer teams uh, at the Borley Rectory investigation. And we're basing our investigation of the manse on the Borley investigation. Um, right. It's, it's going to be so, just like you were part of uh, Harry Price's team. Yeah, Do I have a little um, bit of uh, echo in here? Uh, no, no, it's okay. Uh, okay. It'll be, it, it, I mean, there will be a modern twist. Price used equipment during his investigation, so we, we will modernize that equipment. Uh, but we're going to stick largely to Price's techniques, uh, which he pioneered, and which, do you know, I think a lot of groups will recognize as being still very current and still in use today. For example, the measurement of temperature, the detailed taking of notes, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, uh, the, the use of trigger objects, uh, seances were used by Price as well, of course, and we will be recreating a Price seance uh, in order to facilitate our investigation of the manse. Um, so it will be a night to, to re- learn fro- revisit and learn from the father of modern ghost hunting, uh, touch base with the, the techniques that he pioneered, and we can compare and contrast them to the modern the modern techniques that we use today. So, to to help us along, uh, Price in, uh, gave each of the forty members of his original observer team uh, who were he put into the uh, the Borley Rectory for for a year when he rented it between thirty uh, seven and nineteen thirty eight um, mm-hmm. a set of very detailed notes, and they formed the blueprint for every modern 
paranormal investigation. Um, and so we've managed to recreate the Blue Book um, and everybody that, that takes part, that comes along, will get, will get a copy. Um, and I think we might even have a few spares uh, available for sale during Spirit Quest uh, for those who miss out on the Harry Price investigations. Uh, there should still be a few copies of the, of the Blue Book uh, available, I hope. Really? Uh, really? I hope so. Um, if, if, you, I, I, if, you, if, you, if you read my message properly. <laughs> I actually have to uh, uh, ask you a question because we were, we were talking a little bit about temperature and so forth. Um, yeah. And uh, you use uh, thermal imaging cameras. I, I know you spent, uh, you know, uh, 1,500 hours or something at, at the uh, shipyard there and uh-huh. – uh, and you've done, you know, countless other investigations. So, what type of thermal imaging cameras do you use? Uh, well, over the years, we've used several types. And, and just to blow our trumpet a little bit, which is something uncharacteristic of Parascience, we were actually the first UK group to use and to own thermal imaging cameras um, way before they appeared on television. Um, and subsequent to their appearance on television, all our models were were uh, FLIR. Uh, the the sort of industry standard uh, handheld units that, that had the facility mm-hmm. to plug in a video recorder or take still photography. Uh, and we still have uh, three within the group now. We still have three uh, FLIR uh, video cameras within the group now uh, that we use. We use them in a slightly different way. We don't use them as ghost hunting tools, and we never have done. Uh, for instance, we uh, one of the... the, the uh, reasons for us getting them was to, for their primary function, i.e. to record temperature. Um, and one of the, because it's a, it was a very new piece of equipment for us, and in terms of its use in, in the context of paranormal investigation, um, mm-hmm. we had to learn how to use them properly. And so we invested in the manufacturer's training course to, to allow us to properly understand the information that they were getting, that we were getting from the, from the cameras. Uh, and what we use them for is for uh, grabbing a baseline. Um, we want to know, for example, the temperature within within a room uh, and any hot spots caused by pipe work or, or faulty wiring, uh, central heating, uh, drafts, uh, air ingress, any of those sort of phenomena. And we can so, track that. So you fa- don't fa- use fa- it on the investigation itself? Oh, oh, yes, we do use it on the investigation itself, but in a, in a slightly different context. Um, we use it for regularly observe because in the good old days when we wanted to take the uh, gain temperature data from a, from a location room, it would require a gridding process where we'd have to divide the room into meter square boxes and then take the temperature mm-hmm. of each meter square box and then average them all together and uh, work out the, the sort of average ambient temperature. But the thermal imaging camera allows us to do that now uh, nearly instantaneously uh, because the camera uh, comes with a, a, a very high level of software which allows us to measure temperature gradients and temperature differences and, and all manner of other interesting temperature information um, literally at the press of, the press of a button to, to grab the data. But in terms of the investigation, um, we, don't, we don't look for ghosts with the thermal camera. Um, we use it for environmental measuring. Uh, but it also has a secondary use, which we found it to be uh, rather good at, and that's fraud detection. 
Um, and as we will be demonstrating whilst I'm over there, we'll we'll show you some of the captures that we've managed to uh, get get with the video uh, with the thermal camera of people. Uh, should we say giving the spirits a helping hand, um, helping the investigation along a little bit, not playing not playing really? an entirely straight game, um, because the thermal camera it does have you know uh, when used properly and effectively. It is way much more uh, use than I think many investigators seem to believe because I think many people just seem to point it around them and, and hope that they will see some uh, shadowy, cold or warm apparition um, or blob and then declare it to be paranormal. Um, but the, it's an incredibly useful and, ad, and versatile tool uh, and certainly one that uh, paranormal groups can gain a great deal from but it's oh, well, how, how, does, how does it vary? How does it vary from the uh, I.I. camera, for instance? I mean, do you, I assume you use I.I. cameras in your investigating. Yeah, yes, we do. Um, although we do tend to prefer to leave the lights on uh, because we work much better. And of course, our cameras work much better in visible light. And of course, if a per- were there to test the idea that somebody saw a ghost, saw an apparition, had an experience, um, mm-hmm. a visual experience in the case of a camera. They don't see an infrared. Um, they were, you know, they see within the visible light spectrum. So if we're not, you know, we need well, to... Well, we don't know what they see and what we, they don't see. Well, we, we, know, we know that the human being, the human eye sees in the visible light spectrum. So if they saw something, it's right. going to be within that range. Uh, therefore, there's oh, not oh, much you mean point the, you, mean, you mean the witness, not the spirit? I thought you were yeah, telling yeah, the yeah, spirit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The witness yeah, okay. sees a ghost, so therefore the witness is right. within the visible light spectrum. Uh, right. So that's where we need to be looking because we need to be verifying what their experience was, not looking somewhere else. Um, it's rather like, you know, the witness got run over by a blue car, so we're all out looking for red cars. Um, but the thermal imaging is effectively not that dissimilar to an IR camera because an infrared camera, uh, the night vision cameras that we're, we're all used to, see the world in terms of reflected or emitted infrared light, um, lower wavelength infrared light. A thermal camera sees the world in terms of High, higher energy infrared, so non-visible infrared emitted or reflected energy. Uh, so it, it's in effect a super night vision camera because every object gives off heat and heat is, inf- is, is effectively infrared energy, infrared radiation. The camera senses that, can, can detect that radiation. Instead of projecting it as a plain temperature readout, it projects the image from each of the sensors, the, the, the pixel sensors, and compiles them into a, a visual representation, a photograph, uh, a video. Um, so it's a video of the world as seen by a pure infrared camera. There are things it can't do. It can't see cold spots, for example, in the air uh, because it's not designed to see infrared energy as a gas. Um, so it can only see solid objects or emitting infrared sources. So it could, for example, give you to, to show you the wall or the floor or a person right. or an object. But it can't. If somebody says, "Oh, there's a cold spot between us," the thermal camera it, it's completely blind to it. It, it. it would never know it was there. 
There is a very, very, very special kind of thermal camera called a gas find camera that's um, scarily expensive. If you think thermal imaging is scary and expensive, if you, these gas find cameras add some zeros to the to the cost. Um, but these are specially designed to see. They're primarily designed for looking for. Yeah, for, for looking for gas leaks. Uh, so they can actually okay. differentiate between temperatures of gases. So they can see cold spots in the air when they're so, properly set up. I, I actually have a question. Is I mean, we talked about heat and cold. So what is the definition of heat and cold? When does cold become heat or heat become cold? Or do they ever? Uh, well, we, 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 everything is calibrated to a, a, temp, a, a temperature scale. Um, which we understand. Mm-hmm. The original temperature scale was defined by the laws of uh, the natural elements. Uh, so the, right. it was the melting point of water, which the, was zero degrees on the Celsius scale, and the boiling point of water was 100 degrees on the Celsius scale. Yeah, but don't, don't you think, okay, in, in pure science, and that's what we're talking about now, If you, it, it seems to be from me, from what I get from you, is that we actually have to discount totally the the terms heat and cold and and just uh, go with temperature because that's well, what we're really measuring. We're not measuring heat and cold. We're measuring temperature. We are. That's all we measure. Uh, but uh, they are subjective terms. For example, if if it's uh, ninety five degrees. Uh, and somebody you know lowers the temperature by five degrees, it becomes cooler or colder. Uh, if they raise right. it by five degrees, it becomes hotter or warmer. So they're terms that we understand for a change in temperature, uh, a perceived change, or even a measured change. And and it's a universal term that we can accept. Um, but we 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 measure temperature. Don't you think it just uh, mucks everything up though? Uh, well, no, not really, because we understand the terminology. And there are, there are many other examples where the wrong term is used to describe what we're doing. For example, uh, one of the classic ones is an EMF meter. Um, EMF, to an engineer or to a physicist, is actually electromotive force and has nothing to do with electromagnetic fields. Um, mm-hmm. there, so there is no such there is no such device as an EMF meter. Uh, there is an electromotive force, but in actual fact, EMF meters, as we understand them, it's it's a term that we're all comfortable with. Um, and I guess you know it's it's a bit like the word ghost, isn't it? You know, we it can cover a, a multitude of different types of phenomena and experiences. You might say that you saw a shadowy figure out of the corner of your eye, somebody else might have seen a solid apparition of a Minuteman or a Roman soldier. Uh, both, both of you could say, I saw a ghost. Uh, but the actual phenomena itself, and maybe even the mechanism that's causing it, is completely different. So there are, you know, we are humans. Uh, but that's, 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 not, that, that's because ghosts are so subjective. I mean, we, we don't even know what a ghost is. It's, it's depending on what you believe in, but a temperature is the temperature. If it's and 100 degrees, well, it's 100 degrees. It's not, well, it doesn't have to be true. hot. It doesn't and, have to be cold. It's how it's the temperature. It's, it's, yeah, a, that's, that's it's pure. It's we, pure. Measure, we measure and document and record the temperature. Um, and we, we, never, we never say anything else. But... Mm-hmm. 
uh, in re- relating one temperature to another, um, one temperature t- uh, will be hotter or colder than another. Um, and you will perceive Great. a temperature change as being hotter or colder. That's just a description of the, ch- the, the change or the perceived change or even the rate of change between the two states of temperature. Uh, but you're still measuring only measuring temperature. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's perfectly so, good uh, English. If we, if we go back to, if we go back to, well, not re- particularly, I mean, we, we, well, whatever. If we go back to, in history, we, we, we find the first recordings of, of spirits and so forth, and, and where uh, coal spots, is, is that how they're referred to, or, or how, how does that fit in? Uh, well, cold spots have been documented um, for hundreds of years, and that's that. Uh, it wasn't until the late nineteenth century that people started to record the temperature in relation, uh, first of all, to seance phenomena within the within spiritualist uh, seances. Um, scientists like William Crookes, so William Crookes, one of the SPR found um, uh, founding fathers, early early members of the SPR. He, he measured temperature, uh, as indeed did Harry Price, both within a haunted location, Borley, he, he recorded the temperature at, and also within the science room. Um, but earlier, people didn't have the ability to measure temperature, but they, could, they felt colder, they felt that the temperature had changed, and so they said they described these sensations of cold uh, prior to or during an apparitional or other experience, and so we get we give rise to this this common uh, perception that that, that there is a, a temperature change associated with paranormal activity. Now, actually, that 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 can be the case, and there are there are some very well documented and properly recorded temperature anomalies associated with paranormal experiences and as you know i've said many times it's perhaps the only thing that's worth measuring uh, in terms of haunted locations and if you know if a paranormal group's going to spend any money for god's sake buy lots of thermometers um so, you know it, it, we've we, you know it's the cold spot is just it, it, it again it's become because that was the only method that they could use to describe it so okay, so let's let's go back. I mean, we're going to do the Harry Price ghost hunt on uh, Sunday the twenty ninth at the Old Manson uh, Concord, and we're going to use uh, Harry Price's uh, methods. Uh, wow. So, how did Harry and his team measure temperature at, at that time period? I mean, they didn't have thermal cameras. <laughs> I mean, they didn't have thermal thermometers. They didn't have they uh, did. Uh, well, uh, well, hang on a minute. Let's slow you down a bit. Remember, remember that the 1930s was, you know, it was an era of of some quite sort of uh, interesting technology, and it wasn't that long ago. Harry Price had infrared cameras. Harry Price also had infrared uh, cinematic uh, cine, uh, cine cameras. So effectively, infrared video that he could use if he wanted to. Uh, his thermometers, which is what we're talking about specifically now, he used a transmitting thermometer, which could, uh, it had a remote sensor, and it could transmit the data via a cable to a... Really? Base, to the base, to the, absolutely, to the base room. Um, 
And he was able to monitor the temperature in one part of the building or, or any part of the building he chose from the base room. Now, the recordings were made on paper charts, but nonetheless, it was a transmitting thermograph, uh, a transmitting thermometer that was, that was uh, recording the, or was used to record the temperature at Borley. So these modern data loggers are only the modern equivalent, updated and, you know, 21st century eyes. Uh, devices exactly the same as if price had been around today price would have been using data loggers um, to measure the temperature because he used the 1930s equivalent it was recording the temperature onto a paper chart uh, from a from a, a display readout an analog display readout and it could be done remotely uh, in the base room to any part of of the site uh, that, that price chose to put the sensors um, he wasn't behind the times. We, we, as I said to you at the start of the show, uh, people will recognise many of the things uh, that we're going to be doing at the Mance as being very modern techniques because Price was the creator of many of these modern techniques. Um, yeah. You know, he 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 said uh, to his to his observer teams. Um, if you have a camera, bring it. He also gave them techniques on how to use the cameras properly. He had access to uh, transmitting thermometers. He had access to infrared still and vi- uh, move- movie uh, film. He had access to, to quite a lot of the technology that we would recognize uh, today as being useful for ghost hunting. Really? See, Absolutely. I did not know that. I, you know, I, I expected him still being the, the kind of dark age type thing where he's, <laughs> he's working with, with, with very, you know, low tech equipment. I mean, I, I be honest with you, when I started out, I mean, I we didn't have a lot of equipment. We had to adapt everything. I mean, we we took things as far as EMF meters. We couldn't afford uh, tri-field meters, so we we took the old uh, cell sensor and started off with that. We took, uh, you know, uh, monitor, baby monitors and used those yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and other low-cost low IR stuff. And, I mean, that's the yeah. way we started. And, and, that's, and, that's, and you know what? The, re- the results weren't that bad with that stuff. No, and they won't be. They'll be very good results. And you're doing what Price did. Price was an engineer and an inventor. Uh, and he he would see a need for a piece of equipment and he would either develop it himself and he did in many cases devices which we'll talk about uh, during the during uh, while I'm over there devices like the telekinetoscope um, and other devices he used within the seance room and haunted houses um, but he also adapted equipment for example he used um, he didn't have radios but he had field telephones or he had the ability to install field telephones really? so that different parts of the, the the observer team could communicate with each other now we use walkie-talkie radios so what we we started off using baby monitors we started off using these greenhouse thermometers that would transmit the temperature from the sensor in the greenhouse back to the comfort of your of your uh, dining room um and realized that they would allow us to read the temperature in a in a remote part of a location and it's exactly what every I think every ghost hunting group's done. Um, we use these uh, trail cams, these nature cat cams. Um, yeah, we still do. As, as a way of uh, protecting a, a, an object or, or locking down a, a location to make sure that nobody inadvertently walks into it or moves something. Because with beam barriers, 
the alarm goes off and you know something's happened, but with the trail cams, you get a record of what's happened. Um, right. So you it's, it's, and audio. That's right. So it's adapt the, the available technology as much as I, – I think that's actually better because in the case of a trail cam, you're using it to observe a, a, an area and record what takes place there, which is what it's designed to do. Now, where it goes a bit wrong is when you take something like an EMF meter and turn it into a ghost communication device and start asking the spirit to flash lights because that's not what it was designed to do. Um, mm-hmm. And some of the more bizarre pieces of equipment but, that are, that are but you can't sit there and tell me that a spirit couldn't do that though because we don't know. Um, do I, we? I think I think that's a clutching at do straws we? response. Um, do we? Do we know for sure that a spirit cannot manipulate an EMF meter or a K two meter? Your favorite. Uh, we do not know that, do we? There's absolutely, absolutely no proof. Absolutely. That we- Absolutely, we do not know 100% certainty. However, by by experimentation, devising proper experiments, then it will be possible to find out. And in fact, one such experiment that tests the idea of can spirits communicate using electronic equipment is currently being run by me um, and will be published probably next year um, to test this very idea because... That's what you have to do. You, you've posed a very, a very interesting question. Uh, the K2 meter poses a very, a very interesting challenge. It might be, it might be that, that spirits are flashing the lights in response to questions. Now, I could, I could adopt the skeptical position. But how can and we say, prove that? Well, I, I, adopt, I could adopt the skeptical position and say that's stuff and nonsense and clearly it's rubbish. Or I could sit down and devise an experiment that tests the hypothesis and look at the results like we did with the orb experiments. Uh, we we recognised that there was a problem. We recognised that it needed to be dealt with and we devised an experiment and conducted the experiment. And I think that's the way that investigations need to be carried out. I agree. But, ru- and, and but the interesting... Headlong the but but the interesting thing, Steve, is it's such a we don't totally understand what we're doing, so it, it's so hard to get any uh, you know true facts. And, and and like you can devise an experiment, to, to, like for instance, for the K two meter. I think we talked at one time about putting it in a lead box or something, didn't we? Uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's the basis of the experiment involves a lead a lead box. Okay. So if we put it in a, in a lead box and, and uh, what, we ask questions and, and see if it still works, if the spirit would respond, right? Well, at the very base level, then, yes, it's, it's very similar to that. Obviously, I don't want to give away all the experiment, but, yeah, at the very basic level. Oh, okay. Oh, what, I'm sorry. I didn't know this was hush-hush. My, my apologies. Well, it's not hush-hush, but what we want to do is to see if – under a controlled set of conditions, spirit... Well, actually, I, is the tunes, which means we have to take a break right now, Steve. So can you hold that thought, and I'll come back and Absolutely. harass you some more. Okay, you're listening to Ghost Chronicles International right here on Tojanet, Parax, Ghost Channel and Beyond with Mr. Steve Parsons and New England's own band, Helsinki, Ron Kolek, and the absent Cal Cooper. And we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Tokinet. 
Radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more. Located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more. All in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place, an oasis in this hectic world. You, you, you said uh, that, uh, something that I, I think I'd like to come back on, um, and that's this this idea of, uh, you, you might want to refresh me, but it was something along the idea is we don't know what we're measuring, we don't know how to measure it, we don't know what we're looking for. Right, well, um, well let's, let's, we, were, we were looking at the K2 meter and, and as a sp- yeah. spirit communication device, and you were devising a, a test to uh, prove or disprove that it either works to or it doesn't work. And I, I, and I submit that you cannot 
do a test to prove or disprove that it, it could be, not be used as a spiral communication device. Well, I submit that uh, the balance of probabilities, um, any, any, any test result um, or any scientific experiment is based on reproducibility. Now, we don't just do the experiment once. You do it over and over, and you, you do it in a way that others can take it away, and they can also reproduce the experiment. Right. Um, and when you, when you get a, a breadth of identical results... Think you are clearly dealing with the same thing, the same the same answer. Now, in in terms right. of measuring stuff within a haunted location, and there's there's an old argument that's often thrown thrown uh, up at, uh, right. uh, at at ghost investigators or skeptical ghost investigators, and that is you can't be an expert in the paranormal. Um, therefore, anything that you say or you know, I can go off and measure anything because you. You know your expertise counts for nothing because you can't be an expert in the paranormal. But I would I would argue and counter that with well I don't measure the paranormal. I've never ever set out to measure and document, um, measure and record the paranormal because no piece of equipment exists for the purposes of measuring or recording the paranormal. But there are lots of. Pieces I don't know. Of I have a ghost meter. <laughs> well, I don't care what it says on the front in in, in crayon. Um, <laughs> There is no piece of equipment yet designed that can measure ghosts or the paranormal. But what we do, and what we've always done, um, is we've measured the normal. And we've looked for uh, unusual patterns, unusual variations, unusual responses within the normal, understood energy fields. We know all about temperature. We understand temperature very, very well. We understand uh, radiation, electromagnetic radiation and frequency and amplitude and how that works and how that interacts with with things like objects around us and indeed with the human brain. So we're measuring the known uh, environment and looking for deviations in that known environment and then exploring the deviations to see if we can get an angle on why they are deviating, what's, what's different. Uh, I mean, one of the key questions I always remember... At, uh, Asking right, right, right from the 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 word go, uh, twenty plus more years ago, uh, when you're confronted with one haunted house uh, on an estate of perhaps several hundred, what's different about that one haunted house? It's that difference that we need to be looking for. So we don't just measure the haunted house; we're also measuring the non-haunted houses. Uh, not every single one of them, obviously, but you have to establish a baseline, um, a norm. But that's the question: because is how do you distinguish if the house is haunted or not? Well, you don't. Um, there is there is a there's an accepted there's an accepted definition for what constitutes a haunted house, and that's quite simply that if people report apparitional and haunt uh, experiences within that house, it is therefore by definition haunted. Uh, you can't have an allegedly haunted house. That's that's nonsensical English, because it would be like me saying, "Well, the house over the roads is haunted." That's allegedly haunted because I'm alleging mm-hmm. it's haunted. Uh, if somebody who lives there says that they see a ghost or they've seen a ghost, and that other you know other people there have had experiences too, then it becomes by definition a haunted house. Okay. I'll accept that so, for whatever. But I just find this whole I just find this whole whole thing fascinating because 
you know, in all my years of studying it, it just, it just, I just can't get my finger or my head into what is really haunted and what isn't haunted. How do you prove it? How do you not prove it? Uh, you know, it's it's so sub- subject. It's so subject to the the person who witnesses it. Because I mean, oh, yes, is a haunted yes, house absolutely. still haunted if no one's there? If there's no people interacting with, is it still haunted? We we, well, we can't even say that. Well, yes, we can because there is there is evidence um, from no, there is uh, there is evidence from CCTV cameras that suggest that unusual haunt haunt-like phenomena, objects moving, doors opening and closing, and inexplicable sounds, and indeed Mm -hmm. unusual temperature changes take place regardless of whether there is a human observer. But what we're all... But there is a human observer if you have a a camera or or, a remote. Well, there isn't, is there, if they're not there and it's recording remotely. But what we are basically there to do is to... we We are documenting a human experience. A person says, I saw a ghost, I heard a sound, I saw an object move. Right. Uh, and that's what we're there to explore. And one of the problems is, is that it's a bit like the, the, the conundrum of ufology. Um, they only get called in after the flying saucer is, has flown away and has gone back to, uh, back to the planet it came Japan. from or wherever it's... We, we are always chasing the human experience, um, we are there after the person has seen the ghost. Um, occasionally, if we're fortunate, um, we, we arrange our investigation techniques so that we can try and be there uh, to coincide with the next appearance of whatever phenomena it was, be that a normal or uh, an anomalous phenomena. So I, I, You know, it, you just said that, and, and I found that very intriguing because, you know, I always thought it was this ghost hunters, but... You really said it. We are chases of the human experience. Uh, it's that 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 leads us to wherever we go. I mean, I mean, it's entirely correct. Without that's that, why... without that, we have nothing really. Unless unless somebody said, um, you know, three, four, five thousand years ago, I I just saw you know, Uncle Caveman but he's dead, and somebody else said, no, you didn't. And somebody thought took it upon themselves to go and have a look at the back of the cave to see if there was anybody there. Mm-hmm. They're the first ghost hunters, and we are, as you say, exploring a human experience. Somebody has to have that experience um, for us to want to explore it. Um, right, and this, this not only applies to the ghost, but it also applies to other things, for instance, like cryptozoology, and uh, a thing that we'll be doing together on the 27th, which is a monster, ghosts, and mystery cruise. And the segue for that is we have a new Beyond Bazaar, and I'd like to play it at this point. If we can, Casey, can you play it? puts Nessie to shame. Everyone knows about the legend of the Loch Ness Monster, the huge snake-like creature that supposedly terrorizes a lake in Scotland. Fewer have heard about Caddy of Puget Sound, Washington. Caddy sports a long neck and a shrunken horse-like head and is estimated to be at least 40 feet long. 
Lake Memphremagog on the international border between Vermont and Quebec boasts its own sea monster, nicknamed Memphry. Sightings of this huge serpent creature date back to the early 19th century and have continued into the 21st century. A freaky fact from Barla Ventura's Book of the Bazaar. have all the monsters we have our own you you have plenty over there and we have more than nessie over here uh, on team, uh, we have at least i think six lake monsters here in the uk um so you know we have our collection too we could we could we could put the team out if we had to there you go so, I mean, we are going to be doing this cruise on the uh, 27th together and uh, with Jeremy Dontremont uh, as well. And we'll be going out and we'll, you'll, we'll be talking about uh, some of your experiences with Nessie. And uh, we'll be talking also about some of the reports of monsters around here in New England. So uh, hopefully we can educate you a little bit about our Nessies. Well... I'm looking forward to that part, um, but also um, not just New England, but the land of the Red Dragon, uh, the coast of Wales, um, quite close to where I live, has also got its uh, resident population, it would appear, of sea monsters, uh, including one personal experience, which I'll say for the cruise, uh, a humorous experience of a sea monster sighted off the, well, the West Wales coast uh, in 2010. And witnessed by my son. Uh, really? <laughs> well, you'll have to wait, I, have to wait for the cruise for that. for that one. You'll have to wait for the cruise. Okay, yeah. Uh, all right, we'll have to... Uh, I'm, I'm excited. And who knows, we may even uh, stir up a monster too while we're out there cruising. Because we will be going into some very uncharted waters where monsters have been reported before. Ooh, just gives me the chills thinking about it. But uh, we have many anyway. So that's that's also coming up with your your trip, which will which will be uh, not that far away, will it? I mean, we we're talking uh, a week from Friday will be the cruise, yeah. yeah. And then of course the Harry Price ghost hunt, which I'm really excited about and dining I, I'm, with the I'm dead. Really, and... I'm really uh, stoked about the Harry Price. Um, it, it's more of a weekend, really, isn't it, of Harry Price stuff. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's going to be a really good opportunity because I think most people here in the UK know that I I grew up with Price as a childhood hero, um, and there's been a lot of words uh, written and spoken about Price. He's he's always been a contentious figure. There have been people who have accused uh, Harry Price of out and out fraud. There are others who will who who say he is the father of modern ghost hunting, and I'm one of them. Uh, and all colours in between, um, and the truth, the truth, I think, we, is is uh, not that not that surprising. And uh, uh, but at the same time, it will surprise a lot of people. Um, and I'm really looking forward to uh, to talking about who who was the real Harry Price and what does he represent? Uh, what did he represent? Um, plus, also taking people back and letting them see that 
how far have we come? You know, we, we think that we're, we're really quite clever. Uh, a lot of paranormal groups, a lot of paranormal investigators, you know, we use what we consider to be cutting edge gadgets and techniques. Um, but maybe people may not realize just how far we've come in some areas and in other areas haven't progressed at all in the last 80 or 90 years. Um, right. I was it, totally it, surprised that, that some of the stuff you told. But actually, we had a question from Seal and Cat in the uh, Parallax chat room. She said, Six Lakes Monsters, what are the other five? So you got Nessie. Who else is running around there in the uh, UK? Uh, well, we, have, we have a lake monster in the Lake of Bala uh, called Teggy, because in Welsh, uh, Bala Lake is Tegid, Llintegid. Um So he's called, he or she is called Teggy. Uh, we have uh, another monster at Loch Marah. Um, Loch Marah. Which I, I love that. Loch Marah. Uh, that's Morag. Loch Marah. Uh, we have Bo Nessie in um, Windermere. Bo Nessie? Um, Bo Nessie, because it's named after the town of Bo Ness um, on the banks of oh. Lake um, and there are there are several more. There's probably a lot more than six, actually. Um, I think mm-hmm. there's probably in the region of a dozen Scottish lochs that claim a, sea, a, a monster, and there's also quite a number in Ireland. Um, but it's not. I, I've only ever really studied the Loch Ness monster and been up there and mm-hmm. spent time investigating for myself and seeing for myself. Which I'm because that's here about. That's what investigation is ultimately, isn't it? It's seeing it for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to, I've read all the books again as a child growing up, read lots of books and watched lots of TV shows about Loch Ness, including a, a really quite a good Disney film about the Loch Ness Monster. Uh, but I, I had really? never visited the site and I wanted to go see for myself. And my first impressions when I arrived is, wow, there could be something to this given the sheer scale of the place. And now I know on a, on a scale of the American Great Lakes, um, Loch Ness isn't that big. But over here, it, it is the largest body of fresh water in the United Kingdom. And you can, so they say, you can take every other loch and lake in the mainland United Kingdom, pour it into Loch Ness, and you still won't fill it up. Um, it is, it really? is, on our scale, truly vast. It's 900 feet deep at its deepest point, and it's 25 miles long, um, and about two miles wide at its widest point. So it's a very long ribbon uh, that runs... It, 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 all, with, with two other locks, it effectively cuts Scotland in half from the Atlantic Ocean to the North Sea. Um, are, are they interconnected in any way? They are entirely connected. Uh, they always have been, um, but they've been connected in terms of uh, transit transport by the Caledonian Canal, uh, which was constructed oh, in okay. the 18th, uh, 19th, 18th century. Um, and, you know, when I first saw Loch Ness, it's surrounded by trees. Uh, the road that runs, there's a road that runs uh, right around the loch, um, only yards away from it in many places, and yet there is dense... Uh, undergrowth and dense tree cover that protects the loch from from uh, you know, there's huge stretches of it where you can't see very much of the loch at all as you drive around it mm-hmm. uh, and there are not that many vantage points there are some of the famous ones Urquhart Castle 
and a Drumna Drocket and a Fort Augustus, but you're you're still only seeing a very small segment of the loch, and it it would be perfectly feasible to put a nuclear submarine into Loch Ness um, and not notice it was there. Um, it, it is a huge body of water. Uh, now, the monster seems to be something akin to Caddy, 30 to 40 feet long, uh, possibly eel-like with a small, a small head, sometimes described as horse-like or, or sheep-like. And th- you think something... 30 feet long in something in a body of water that vast uh, even if there was a population of perhaps 50 a breeding population of about 50 um, you would be very hard pressed to find it very hard pressed I mean we knew where the Titanic was and that was a very small object in a very large body of water and we knew it was there and we knew roughly where it was and how long did it take before Ballard found that Absolutely. So, so yeah, I mean, th- that's the interesting thing about what we do, and and I'm so excited about you coming over and doing this cruise and and sharing your your experiences and and hunting. I mean, because I mean, I think we're all whether we're hunting ghosts or hunting cryptoids or UFOs. I mean, we're kind of like the same. Our Sasquatch. I mean, it's really we're very similar in that. We're curious, and we we love the stories, and we we want to see if there's any validity to it, and, and maybe we want to be scared a little bit along the way. Well, I've said before, um, if you if you strip away all of the all of the science, all of the experimentation, all of the journal articles, the television programs, and anything else that we do along the way, um, we all came into it for the same reason, didn't we? A desire to to understand what was taking place, but also a desire to see a ghost. You know, we all want to, at the end of the day, go see a ghost. I know I do. Um, right. And I know, yeah. and I know, you know, I'm base enough to admit that, you know, one of my number one ambition in life is to go face to face, head to head with a ghost. Um, well, we'll see would, if we can that, arrange that for you when you come here. That would, that would be, that would be my ambition. Um, and I, I think that that's the same for every investigator. Spooky Palooza uh, from the uh, Tojina chat room asked the question, is there an underwater connection via the lock from the North Sea or the Atlantic? That's her, her uh, question uh, to you. No, no there isn't, um, is, the, is the easy answer. And it's been, it's been proven. Um, it, it has been tested and it has been proven that there is no underwater connection between Loch Ness and the North Sea. Moreover, the height between Loch Ness, uh, the height differential between the water and the North Sea would mean that should a channel, such a channel exist, Loch Ness would empty um, because it's considerably higher than the North Sea. So all the water would just run out, like pulling the plug out of a bath. Um, but you can there you sail. Uh, there is a surface connection, um, but it uses a series of locks, the Caledonian Canal, um, that so joins up the rivers. Uh, locks join the locks. That's right. There are four big uh-huh. sea locks. Uh, there's there's a there's a sea lock, uh, and then you have a series of in, uh, freshwater locks that join up to Loch Ness, and then the gaps in between are filled in with rivers and the Caledonian Canal. Does does that contaminate the the lock water? I would think. 
No, not significantly. Uh, given the huge amount of... Remember that Loch Ness holds the equivalent of all of the water in all of the other lochs and lakes in the UK. Um, the trickle of a, of a small 30... Uh, four, oh, is it 20-metre-wide 20 canal and a couple of rivers ain't going to make any difference to it. Uh, but interestingly, it does allow passage of marine wildlife into the loch, uh, seals are regularly sighted in Loch Ness, and I myself have seen a seal in Loch Ness. Um, very, very rarely dolphins have also got into the loch uh, via the canal um, and the, the rivers. Um, and sturgeon have also been sighted. Uh, perhaps the b- most bizarre animal ever confirmed as being sighted in Loch Ness was, a, was an elephant. Um, what? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Uh, and, and in fact, one researcher actually suggested not so very many years ago that that was actually a credible explanation for the sightings of the Loch Ness Monster was in fact a submerged elephant sticking its trunk out of the water to breathe. Um, back in, the, I think it was the 1930s, 40s and 50s, uh, the area was regularly visited by a number of circuit, travelling circuses and fairs, uh, which included in amongst their, their sort of menagerie of animals... Uh, elephants and the elephants were taken down to the shores of the loch and allowed to uh, play in the water and, and uh, paddle around in the water. So uh, there were, in fact, elephant sightings in Loch Ness. Wow, that's that's kind of amazing. So, I mean, you 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 mentioned about uh, species going into the loch. So, is that one of the credible theories that? If they can come in, then maybe the Loch Nessie, for instance, could go into the ocean and maybe it comes back like a salmon to spawn or so forth. I mean, do we know that? Uh, we we don't know anything. Uh, the Loch Ness Monster is a bit like ghosts. I mean, is it possible? I, I don't know. Uh, I don't have the my area of expertise lies outside that. My my area my my interest in the Loch Ness Monster is purely. Uh, at an amateur level, but I've spoken to to many of the leading researchers um, during my visits up there, and the most common, bit, if, if we exclude the sceptical explanation of um, which which is that it's marine, a marine mammal, i.e., um, people miss seeing a dolphin or a seal or a sturgeon or an upturned boat or a seismic wave or or some other normal phenomena, if there is to be a large uh, unknown species of animal. The loch does have a, 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 a phenomenal uh, population of eels. They're only three or four feet long at their maximum, but there are eel species like the conger eel uh, and the uh, the moray eel, which are much much bigger. And a lot of people do subscribe to the idea, and I'm I'm inclined toward it, that what you're dealing with is a very large species of eel. Um, they do exist in other parts of the world, um, and what you might be dealing with is, you know, simply that. Bok does sustain and is capable of sustaining exactly that type of creature, um, and it could, you know, there is, well, a, there is an this, abundant Steve. food source. I hate to say this, Steve, but that was just the doorbell, which I is heard the pizza it. from the dentist here. The so pizza from the dentist. You heard it, actually. That's good. Yeah, so we we actually have to wrap it up. What's that? I said, well, it makes a good source of food for eels too, pizzas. 
Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Anyways, <laughs> uh, you'll be here in uh, about 10 days. Uh, you'll get to meet Anne, uh, my co-host from Next Generation, and Laura, my co-host from Morning Edition. So uh, it'll be uh, like... Uh, I like, Anne, I like Anne's brave comment. Nothing scares me. I'm brave beyond belief. Well, we'll find out. There you go. She hasn't met you. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> no. I... Let's wait and see. Let's see how much we can scare her. Team UK. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So anyways, uh, do you have anything coming up yourself up there in the UK before you come over here? Uh, no, the next big thing for me is obviously the American trip, followed by another Harry Price. We're, 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 quite, we're so excited by the Harry Price idea that we're actually going to do it in the UK uh, in November. Um, late oh, November, excellent. Congratulations. To, doing the same yep. Harry Price style investigation here in the UK because people have been asking about it. Uh, right. But between and, now and, and, I've, and I've been invited, I, I assume. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wouldn't do it without you. <laughs> but between now uh, and anyway, still finishing PowerPoint presentations and making sure that all my jabs and inoculations are up to date. So there you go. So anyways, I know we have a lot of things going on in... Uh, 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 you know, Spur, of course, I'm, I'm absolutely uh, ecstatic to see. I mean, Jane Darby's coming with her crystal skulls, which uh, are interesting, let's put it that. And you're going to be doing the psychometry uh, workshop yeah. with me at there as well. There'll be a Ouija board workshop with uh, Jason Robertile. And Harry Price uh, Heller, who's a, who, Oh, yeah, there's going to be a lot of cool stuff going on, and I'm, I'm really excited about it, and uh, it will be one. So anyways, Steve, thanks a lot, and uh, everyone, thanks for listening, and tune in next week, uh, and we'll be there. Good night, God bless. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.